0: You can't live long without someone doing you wrong. As a pastor, I have heard many heart wrenching stories of people who have been wronged. My husband had an affair. My wife cheated on me. My husband's been watching pornography. He took a pile of our savings and wasted it on gambling. My friend said he had an investment opportunity where we couldn't go wrong and he lost a lot of our money. She told lies to my friends about me that weren't true. My ex turned my kids against me. My son stole from me. My boss ruined my career not a follower of Christ because someone who is a Christian did something wrong to you. Before starting my work at Sunset Presbyterian Church, I was uh, the youth pastor at Mountain Park Church for a few years. Fresh out of seminary, Jory and I threw our hearts into this ministry. When we arrived, there were about 40 kids involved in the middle school and high school ministries. We gave blood, sweat, and tears, and by the time we left for Sunset Presbyterian Church, there were 500 students regularly involved in the middle school, high school, and college young adults ministry. Uh, we were loved at that church, and uh, they threw a party for me on our final night there, and uh, it, was, uh, it was very nice. It was very nice. But something happened at that party that that rubbed me wrong. About a half hour into the party, uh, I I should say, while I was there, the pastor left, lead pastor left, and so I preached a lot and uh, was involved leading the entire church. And a new pastor came, and about a half hour into the party, the the new pastor and the board uh, went off into a room to interview a person they were looking at to replace me. And I thought to myself, goodness, I gave my life to this church, and they can't even give me one night? Now, my feelings were probably misplaced. I mean, what did I expect them to do? You know, know, stand around for two hours saying goodbye after they'd said their goodbyes? You know, they can go off and have a meeting. But anyway, it rubbed me wrong, and I left with kind of some uh, feelings of, of anger and bitterness. One of the things I learned about that is, uh, well, I I came to forgive them, uh, but I've learned that it's important to say goodbye to staff, so whenever somebody leaves here, I try to make sure we say a good goodbye. If you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to uh, Micah last week, I would encourage you to send him an email or a card or or call him on the phone or Christy and uh, thank them for the wonderful work uh, they did here. We've all been done wrong. We can't do anything about that, but we can do something about our reactions to it. I don't want to talk. I want to talk about that in this new four-week series I'm beginning today, called "From Better, From Bitter to Better: Choosing to Forgive." How can we move on when people have done us wrong? How can we avoid carrying bitterness and resentment toward people? who have wronged us. You already know the answer. We can forgive. You say, no way. I'm not letting them off the hook that easily. That's not fair. I didn't say it was fair. But here's the main takeaway from my message today. The only way you can move from bitter to better is by learning to forgive. Whether you're a teenager or you're in your 90s, you have to learn to forgive. The person we're going to look at in this series is the Old Testament character, Joseph. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis 37. Uh, Joseph is a very important character in Genesis. You can always tell what's important to an author by how much time they devote to it. Uh, John devotes 10 chapters out of his 21 to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's telling us that the most important reason Jesus came was to die for our sins and then be raised to life. Moses devotes 14 out of the 50 chapters in Genesis to the life of Joseph. He says forgiveness, which we learn from Joseph, is this important. Imagine you're from a large family, dozen or so kids. All the children are from the same dad, but they have four different moms. You are born to your dad's favorite wife. You're the favored son, and your brothers know it. You get a car, they don't. You get Armani, they get goodwill. You get summer camp, they get summer jobs. You get educated, they get angry. Joseph had 10 older brothers, an older sister, and one younger brother. You say, why so many kids? Were they Kincaids? Well, his father, Jacob, had two wives Leah and Rachel. You, you may remember, Joseph loved Rachel and was engaged to be married to her. But her father pulled a fast one on wedding night. In the dark of night, he slipped the older sister, Leah, into his tent. She had a veil over her face. And so he ended up getting two wives. A week later, he was given Rachel. Well, this set up a rivalry between them. And it, it's, it led to a, a childbearing rivalry. Leah was fortunate. She was able to bear five, or, uh, seven children, six boys and one girl. Rachel was barren. She was embarrassed. She was devastated. And so she asked her maid to sleep with Jacob. And through her maid, her uh, maid uh, gave birth to Jacob uh, two sons. Well, Leah saw what she had done. Leah had stopped bearing children. And so she invited her maid to sleep with Jacob and gave him two more sons. Finally, Rachel got pregnant. God was gracious with her. And she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So add all this up, and you've got one husband, two wives, two maids, four mothers, 12 sons, and one daughter, which did not equal family bliss. Instead, there was jealousy, strife, anger, deceit, and competition. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Uh, This robe... Uh, was uh, a special robe Uh, doting on a uh, uh, a child uh, uh, is not uncommon Uh, you all know that our youngest uh, child erica has me uh, wrapped around her finger Uh, everybody in our family loves her a favoring joseph may have brightened jacob's world but it led only to dark clouds for joseph to top things off, uh, Jacob gave Joseph a special robe. This was a long-sleeved garment that was for nobility. It showed a place of special honor in a family. Now, Joseph did not make things easier by prancing around in a with a "Look what uh, Dad gave me" sort of attitude, and his brothers hated him for it. The hatred the hatred grew deeper when uh, Joseph shared with his brothers a dream he had that he should have kept to himself about him ruling over them. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Apparently, Joseph missed class the day they were talking about how to win friends and influence people. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him. All the more because of uh, his dream and what he had said. Uh, Jacob ignored the signs of brewing hatred between the brothers towards Joseph. And so he didn't see any problem in sending Joseph out one day to check on the brothers who were out tending his flock at Shechem. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. Now Reuben, the oldest brother, convinced them. no, 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 no. Let's not kill him. That's way over the top. Let's just throw him in the the bottom of a, a, a pit. And so they did that, and while they were having lunch, a, a traveling caravan going to Egypt came by, and they decided to sell Joseph into slavery. And then they took the, his robe and they uh, put uh, goat's blood on it, and then they brought it home to his father. Says, Is this Joseph's? So Jacob thought Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Imaginary tale? No, it's the story of 17-year-old Joseph. He had every reason to be angry. He had been done wrong. Jacob was taken down to Egypt where he was sold to a man named Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So even though he'd been sold into slavery, God was with him and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Uh, Joseph did not take advantage of this freedom given by his master. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice he says his sin is going to be against God. Anytime we sin, we're sinning first against God, then against the other person. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Or even be with her. Uh, what's next? Uh, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, "Come to bed with me," but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Uh, when his wife, when the wife saw that her uh, Uh, attempts proved ineffective, she turned to revenge. She falsely accused Joseph of trying to sexually harass her and had him thrown in prison. So Joseph was stripped of his clothes and sold to a traveling caravan by his brothers, sold as a slave in Egypt, falsely accused of sexual harassment by Potiphar's wife, and thrown into prison without a trial. If anyone had been done wrong and had a right to hold a grudge, it was Joseph. Yet as we will see, Joseph did not allow a root of bitterness to gain a foothold in his life. Think what would have happened if Joseph had chosen to become bitter. What happens when you allow yourself to become filled with resentment? At least four things are likely to happen. One, you try to win an apology. You've been done done wrong. You try to get the person to, to say they're sorry. You try to get them to admit that they were wrong and to ask you to forgive them. If that happens, you can move on. Our son Joel was ranked in the top 50 in the nation in tennis uh from almost every month from when he was 12 to 18 graduated from high school it was kind of fun to go to tournaments with him he was practically always seated one of the top 32 players in the tournament um and uh, his junior year we sent him to a tennis academy in texas uh when he came back he was the dominant player in oregon or the pacific northwest um He had a problem, though, when it came to state because uh, the seedings for state in Oregon are based on the performance from the last year, and his junior year he didn't play state. His only chance to be a top seed at state was to win the Jesuit tournament. Every year, Jesuit has a tournament. They invite the top eight teams in the state to play, and the winner of that tournament is usually seeded number one for state. His coach, Joel played for Lincoln High School, his coach said, I want you to play a practice match with the number two player on our team. Every time Joel asked him to play, he refused. Everybody knew this other player couldn't beat Joel. He was a good player, probably ranked about 500 in the nation. But the player lied to the coach. He says, Joel won't play me. And so... When seeding players for the Jesuit tournament, he put this other player in the number one bracket. You know, the players ranked one to eight in the state, and he put Joel uh, at number two. When Joel arrived to play that morning at Jesuit, he looked and he saw he wasn't even in the top bracket. He went to the coach. He says, what's going on? He said, well, the other guy said that you wouldn't play him. He said, why didn't you talk to me? And so Joel knew at that point that he would not be a seed at State. You say, why does that matter? If he's the best player in the State, he'll just win, beat everybody. Well, seeding does matter. You, know, you notice Rafael Nadal or Novak Djokovic or Roger Federer, they want to be the top seed. Otherwise, you, you might have to play the, you know, the fifth best, fourth best, third best, second best player to get to, and it makes, it makes it a lot harder. And in fact, Joel did not win State. Joel was upset with his coach. So was I. I went and talked to the coach and said, What are you thinking? Joel's been your top player for four years. Why didn't you talk to him? You pretty much kept him from being seated at state. And he apologized. But what happens if the other person refuses to apologize? What if he refuses to make things right? Two, when an apology doesn't come, your anger turns to resentment. If the person who hurts you does not admit the offense and apologize for it, you're left holding the bag, filling with more hurt. You remember you were taught by a child that if you play by the rules, everything will work out okay. But if this person, this wretch, this villain not only refuses to apologize, but won't even admit that he's responsible for your hurt, that makes you angry. And you're left feeling a little more resentful. Three, you fantasize about revenge. You begin to think in your mind of all the things you can do to get even. Now, thankfully, we don't do most of the things we think about, I remember a tennis match our oldest son Tad was playing. He was winning handily. And his opponent then called like two shots out that were clearly in. And it so upset Tad that he started to unravel and he lost the match. I remember fantasizing after the match about wanting to strangle his opponent. You may not act on your anger. Because you notice, you know, Jesus teaches us not to return evil for evil. So you're left holding the bag with no way to even the score. So your anger simmers below the surface in some form of bitterness. You find yourself daydreaming of vile things you could do to balance the books. Whatever thoughts fill your mind, they all have one thing in common. They never work. Four, you damage your health. If you hold resentment inside of you, it always hurts your body. You get zapped of energy. You get depressed. You might gain weight, get high blood pressure. Circulation magazine warns a person who is most prone to anger is three times more likely to have a heart attack than someone who is least prone to anger. So how do you overcome bitterness and resentment? Let me suggest two things this morning. One, do right when you've been done wrong. We've all been taught that uh, to play fair, So when when someone does something wrong to us, we want to even the score. We want to think that we're guaranteed a fair shake in life. If I'm a good boy, then good things will come my way. So in high school, when you you, you give a a ride to a friend, you assume that when you need one, you'll get a, a ride too. If you help somebody else... In high school, with their homework, you, you assume that somebody else will help you when you need the help. You get married, and, and, the, and then the deal is that your, your spouse is going to be faithful to you, and you're confident that's going to happen. After all, fair is fair. Yet it is exactly this belief that causes us so much heartache and makes forgiveness so hard. Because even if we think life should be fair, it seldom is. The solution is to do right when you've done wrong. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. It's one of his most famous lines. We're not to return evil for evil. If people do us wrong, we are to forgive. But you re- protest, you've got to be kidding. Why should I forgive someone who did me wrong? This is why forgiveness is such a radical concept. It's a different way of approaching life. It's returning good for evil. And as I will attempt to show you in this series, forgiveness is actually the best thing you can do for yourself. It won't balance the scales of justice, but it will keep your past from destroying your future. Joseph was treated unfairly by his brothers, Potiphar's wife. None of them deserved to be forgiven, but Joseph forgave all of them. Forgiveness is difficult because we all want to, to have things be fair. When, when we've been done wrong, we want to get even. Once you accept the truth that you don't have to get even, but you can learn to forgive, then you're in a whole better place. Only through your forgiveness can you be set free to go on with your life. Forgiveness is not an easy road, but it is a better road. It it all boils down to will we forgive or not. Jesus says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive forgive your sins. Uh, Jesus suggests that the best evidence is that we uh, have been forgiven by God and accepted his forgiveness is shown by how how readily we forgive others. The only way you can move from bitter to better is by learning to forgive. Do you remember Monty Williams? Monty was assistant coach for the Portland Trailblazers for a number of years. Everybody, he was a great NBA player, and everybody loved him here as a coach. Um, I invited him to speak at one of our men's breakfasts, and uh, years back now. And after he left uh, here, uh, uh, they they he, he became a coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. And one day, his wife Ingrid was out driving, and a drunk driver uh, ran into her and killed her instantly. And Monty surprised everybody by at the memorial service saying, "Hey." I forgive this driver and their family, and we all as a community need to forgive them as well. Just watch for a minute him at the memorial service. I'm gonna close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. No ill will toward the driver that killed your wife. It was an unbelievable moment. The second way to overcome bitterness is to look at the things done wrong to you through God's eyes. If you get one thing this morning, this is it. This is the thing that stands out about Joseph. This was the key to his forgiving. Why didn't Joseph spend the rest of his days in bitterness over the things that had been done to him? Look at Genesis 45. This is around 20 years after his brothers had sold him into slavery. Now he'd become uh, the the second most powerful position in the land of Egypt. It would have been so easy for him in his position of power to settle the score with his brothers. His brothers came down to Egypt. There was a huge famine across the Middle East, and they'd come down to Egypt in search of food. And they don't recognize who he is. He's in the, you know, Pharaoh's garb, and, uh, but he knows, that, he knows these are his brothers. So look at what he says to his brothers. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. They're shocked. They thought he was dead. or They didn't know where he was. They didn't recognize him. The one you sold into Egypt. And now, (coughs) do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God... Sent me ahead of you. He says, this was God's doing. God was behind this whole thing. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. I remember uh, when this happened, uh, Joseph had a dream and, and, uh, and Pharaoh put him in charge that there was going to be seven years of, of plenty. And so they stored up all this grain in Egypt. So nations from all around ended up coming to Egypt So there's been famine for two years, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God, he gives God credit for what happened to him. Sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God couldn't save all the family, Jacob's family's lives with Joseph in Canaan, He had to have him sold into Egypt. God couldn't save their family from Potiphar's house. He had to be sent into prison. And from there moved up into Pharaoh's house. They had done wrong to Joseph. He could have been bitter. His brother sold him into slavery out of hatred. But he interpreted what had happened through God's eyes. He saw that God meant it for good. He saw that God sent him ahead to save their lives. If I'm God-centered in my interpretation of things that happened to me, things that have been done wrong to me, I too can learn to forgive. Daniel is a big man. He's a bodybuilder. He's been shown on... uh, uh, covers of many muscle building magazines, me too you know uh, and uh and uh, uh but he also has a very tender heart i'll share a, a just one example of that uh, He was uh leading a uh, a gym in uh, Porto Allegro. He dreamed of owning a gym of his own, and he finally got the chance when the bank said We'll loan you money' If you find someone to co-sign and his brother agreed to co-sign. So they did all the paperwork and it was finally finished. And the the bank called and said, hey, Daniel, you can come down and pick up your check. And so as soon as he got done with work that day, he went down to pick up his check. And and the guy said to him, "Uh, what are you doing? So I came down to pick up my check and he looked a little surprised. He said, well, your brother already picked it up. And he used it to pay off the mortgage on his home. And Daniel's thinking, What? My brother tricked me? And he was filled with anger. And he stomped over to his brother's house and he knocked on the door. And his brother opened, holding a baby in his hand. He knew that Daniel wouldn't strike him when he was holding his baby. That was right. But Daniel said, If I ever see you again, I will break your neck. So the brothers stayed out of Daniel's way. And Daniel was so angry with him, they didn't want to see each other. They didn't see each other for two years. Well, during that time, uh, Daniel was befriended by a missionary named Alan. And he led Daniel and his wife to Christ. And he learned how God had forgiven him and they needed to forgive other people. But Daniel still found it too much to forgive his brother. They lived in the same town. They knew at some point they were going to run into each other. And one day they did. Daniel saw his brother, but his brother didn't see him. And Daniel writes about what happened. I saw him, but he didn't see me. I felt my fist clench and my face get hot. My initial impulse was to grab him around the throat and choke the life out of him. But as I looked into his face, my anger began to melt. For as I saw him, I saw the image of my father. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's look. I saw my father's expression. And as I saw my father in his face, my enemy once again became my brother. Daniel walked toward him, and then his brother saw him, and he tried to run. But it was too late. Daniel grabbed him by the shoulder, and his brother assumed you know, that he was going to choke him to death. But instead, Daniel gave him a big bear hug. And the two of them stood in a busy street crying. What Daniel did is what you and I need to do. See in the people that have wronged us our Father's face. Our Father in heaven who has forgiven us so much. Because he's forgiven us so much, we can forgive other people. In everything that happens to you, ask why God allowed this to happen. Ask what good God can bring out of the situation. If you look for what God is doing in your situation, you can learn to forgive people. Like Joseph, you can know that the only way you can move from bitter to better is by learning to forgive. The first step in learning to forgive is to accept God's forgiveness to us. Invite Christ to come into your life and forgive your sins right now as we pray. Father, thank you for this story of Joseph, all the things that were done wrong to him, and yet he chose to forgive his brothers and Potiphar's wife and Potiphar, and he didn't live a life of bitterness. And we want to do the same. We want to go from bitter to better Lord, if we're holding uh, bitterness in our heart towards someone, we want to forgive today. I want to invite you to do that as we close. Would you for, just tell God, I forgive so-and-so? Maybe it's your father or mother or sister or brother. I don't know. An ex. Just let the bitterness come out and ask God to help you to forgive. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, invite him right now to come in and forgive your sins. And then out of that forgiveness, you can forgive others. You pray.